0: wish to greet you all in Jesus' name this morning. We're thankful for this opportunity to be together again in this way. I also wish to thank the congregation here for your hospitality this week. It has been enjoyable. I appreciate it. And I do commend you for your memory work. So I came here this week with one memory verse, and it sounds like you've been Memorizing right along, and that is that is a real blessing. This particular verse, Isaiah fifty-seven, fifteen, was one that I memorized many years ago in Bible school at Maranatha, and there are a number of others that we memorized there which have served me well. Not always do I remember exactly all the words, but it does come back if I study them again and I do that occasionally. I'm reading over the Bible. Oh, that was a memory verse. Now I should be able to remember that. And then I try to say it to myself without looking. And it does help to cement it into our minds. And it is valuable for us to have the word of God in our hearts. And I'm sure you know that. But I'm just encouraging you to continue on memorizing. You'll never regret it. So thank you again for your hospitality, for the meals in various homes. I was happy to be able to meet you and even those that I wasn't in your home. I've met a lot of you here and it has been encouraging to do so. I would invite you to Matthew chapter six for the message and actually message this morning and this evening both come from Matthew six. This morning, it is from Matthew 6, 1 through 18, and the title of the message is Honoring God in Giving, Praying, and Fasting, Honoring God. Matthew 6, I will read at this point, verses 1 through 18. that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret." And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. So we want to consider, first of all, the subject of giving. And here it's described as doing alms. I was interested to read that the alms in the first verse has just a little different meaning meaning in the Greek, how that it is, it, it includes giving, praying, and fasting. It has the idea of righteousness, which includes giving, praying, and fasting. But it's to be done with an eye to God, that we are bringing honor and glory to God, rather than any honor to ourselves. Whedon's commentary said that fallen Judaism gave alms, said prayers, and observed feasts, all for human eyes and ears. And I'm not any authority on Judaism and what all they do. But we know what the Bible says, that our righteousness is not to be for our own glory. It is to be for the glory of God. That is why we are here. I was impressed with your memory verse, your memory passage that you had this morning. And actually it's going to apply more to the subject this evening. I think I'll wait till this evening to turn to that and to mention that again. But going on to verse 2, then, here, alms, when thou doest thine alms, has to do with giving. And we have a number of instructions here. Our giving is, first of all, it is not for our own praise or benefit, but it is for the benefit of others, to the honor of and glory of God. It is important to give money. You have your offering that you take out here for various causes which are written on the board here. That's commendable and biblical that we do that. There are times when you may have opportunities to give money to individuals, who especially need it and that's valuable, that's important. But there are also other ways to give and I'm thinking of, first of all, let me back up. It is assumed here, first of all, that we will give Notice in verse two, when thou doest thine alms. I believe it's giving is voluntary, but we should want to give, and to give money. So it is assumed that we will give. Giving monetary gifts anonymously is usually ideal that is when when you give in the offering obviously you put in the offering and others don't know how much you're giving or even if you're giving when you give monetary gifts to others anonymously one thing I think about is the warm thoughts that you have about so who gave me this money Maybe it was this person, maybe it was that person, maybe it was another person. And it gives you warm thoughts toward your brothers and sisters. I don't know who this was, but somebody cared. I am in a caring brotherhood, giving anonymously. It's not always possible, but it is valuable to do that when we can. We can always give with pure motives, and that is for the honor and glory of God, not for a display, display intended to impress others. And when you think about giving to impress others, I'm reminded of perhaps a hospital that you go into and on the wall, there is a display of who gave, for this hospital, perhaps the amount that they gave, perhaps not, but the names of people are there to show and to recognize their contribution to the building of this hospital, or to a park bench, or to whatever whatever you might wherever you might see that. It happens quite often. I have known Actually, in not in our congregation, but locally, I remember when they were building a new church building and somebody gave, and it was known far and wide. This person really gave a lot. I forget if the amount was mentioned or not. And it was known in part, at least, because he, he wanted it to be known. That, that was his his pleasure that it be known. The Bible says that if we do that, our reward is already here on earth. But when we give with pure motives for God's honor and glory, verse four tells us, thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. God will reward us. It may that people wonder why why does God bless this person like he does they may not know about the gifts God rewards us and blesses us openly for giving perhaps there may be other reasons why God blesses us We have here mentioned the hypocrite. Jesus' instruction here was that we're not to sound when we give, sound a trumpet before us as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Again, they really wanted it to be known what all they were doing, their giving and later we will see that they wanted their praying to be known. Thinking just a bit about hypocrisy, Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees in heart sins, heart adultery, heart murder, and so on. Today, we at times can point to obvious hypocrisy among us. And I often I don't know if I should say often, but I've heard this various times in my life of hypocrisy pointed to among us. And often it is in the context of these, these people who look modest, they are doing everything according to what they should, uh, in far as standards of the church. They look good and yet there is something wrong and they are hypocrites. So they're pointed to as these modest, plain people and that they're hypocrites. The thing that I think is important, so the person has a failing and they're denounced. The problem is not the modesty, the doing of good works that is not the hypocrisy the hypocrisy is in the other failings that they have so the remedy is not to forsake the good but to take care of what's wrong purify the heart and to do these things from the heart for the honor and glory of God we cannot excuse wrong living because of a hypocrite We noticed the other evening that we shall all give an account of ourselves before God. We will answer for ourselves, not for the hypocrite. You may have heard the statement that the person who hides behind the hypocrite needs to be smaller than the hypocrite. We don't want to be anywhere close to that situation. Thinking of giving alms, we were talking a lot about money. There is another way of giving and I believe you are involved in that here and you have an opportunity to be involved in it again in a few weeks. Giving of our time and physical effort. That is a real way of giving. Sometimes it's easier to give money, throw money out. I've given, I've done my part. When somebody needs to go along with the field trip and actually they're taking a day off of work and they go along with the school field trip, they're giving, they're giving in a way that money cannot do. Or giving of your time to help build a fence. I suppose You could throw money at that and hire builders, but it does really do something for a congregation to get together and work together. That is a real blessing. And I trust that you will keep on doing that. Work together and be encouraged by one another. Going on to verse 3, let not thy... Left hand know what thy right hand doeth. This emphasizes, and we've touched on it some, the emphasizes secrecy and giving rather than showing it off. And we know that that is important. Giving for the sake of the kingdom of God will bring rewards and Blessings from God. In Luke 14, I don't think I'll turn to this, but Jesus mentioned that they would be recompensed as, at the resurrection of the just. When we give for the sake of the kingdom of God and God God will reward us, it may not be till later, but we will receive the reward. We don't need to try to claim merits for our good deeds, we let that up to God. However, neither should we be afraid of doing good works. Remember, the other evening we mentioned Ephesians 2.10, which says, I need to quote the other verses in front to get it. Ephesians 2, 8 8 through 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For ye are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We should not be afraid to do good works. That's important, but it is for the honor and glory of God. It is because we're saved, not to be saved. So when we do good works it is for the glory of God. I just turn back to Ephesians or excuse me Matthew 5:16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. That is the purpose of our lives, the Christian life, to glorify our father which is in heaven and to want to follow him as well, to have others want to follow him. What about fundraisers, benefit auctions, and the like in, in the area of giving? I was, as I mentioned the other evening, I was very young when our congregation began, but I remember hearing that they received some very good advice from brethren from the Southeastern Conference. And this advice was, and this may not be word for word, that we should not build our church building upon soup. In other words, having sales, selling food to raise money to build the church house. And that goes for the school as well. So there are fundraisers, there are benefit auctions around and you hear about them and an item is sold and there are ridiculous prices paid for the item. And you know who it was that bought it because it's told. So they buy it for this big price and then they say, sell it again. And everybody cheers and they sell it again and someone else pays a big price for a pie, for example and they're raising money for a cause. And that is well and good to give money to a cause. But Romans 12:8 tells us, he that giveth let him do it with simplicity. I don't see anything simple about fundraisers and benefit auctions. There is a lot of work that goes into those things. Somebody has asked what if the person donating The items to be sold would give that money. What if the person who's buying would give that money? What would be the result? You'd have a lot more money actually going to the cause, and it would be very simple. It would be biblical. I don't know if you are a raised, excuse me, I don't know if you are Involved, actually, in these fundraisers and benefit auctions. But I do believe that giving with simplicity is a real blessing. And that God's people really can give for God's work. We don't need to rely on others, non-Christians, to try to support a Christian cause. Been enough about giving. Let's go to honoring God in praying. And we read those verses in verses 5 through 15. In verse 5, we are told how we shouldn't pray. The people here, evidently the hypocrites, they loved to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Why? That they may be seen of men. So they made prayers, they prayed to God very openly and with as much show as they could. It was for display, to be seen of men. I don't believe it's wrong to lead in a public prayer such as we have here, but even then there could be a wrong way in doing it if it is to be seen of men. Jesus tells us how we should pray. In verse 6, When we pray, we're to enter into our closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Do we need to actually, literally, go into a closet and shut the door to pray? I believe that does not hurt a thing to do that, but the important thing, the principle here is that we pray not for show. Our personal prayer is not for show, it's not for others to see and praise us about. And it's not for show in how, in the things that we say when we pray and this wouldn't apply as much to personal prayer as public prayer, but Jesus mentions here in verse 7 about vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And you may have heard of prayers where they repeat the same phrase over and over again and have long prayers. Parent-like recitation of heartless phrases, as though saying them over and over would be a merit. So the question is, do we mean what we pray? I think that without trying, we can be praying and thinking other thoughts. We get distracted at times. Or perhaps the one leading in prayer is praying And ideally, the person who's leading in prayer is actually doing that, leading in prayer. In other words, the congregation is also praying together with the one who leads in prayer. But if we don't watch ourselves, and I've been guilty of this, the person is leading in prayer, and my thoughts are wandering while the prayer is being prayed. And that is not how it ought to be. We also, in our minds, pray with the one leading in prayer it is possible to repeat prayers we can fall in patterns of praying the same things and not mean it but I would also say that we can pray for the same thing often we can maybe even have the same uh, a prayer with the same content over and over again and mean it we can pray for a person who needs salvation and mean it even if we pray every day for that i believe parents ought to have a daily prayer that they bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the lord that should be a daily thing and you can mean it even if you pray it every day Verse eight brings out an interesting thing. Your father knoweth what needs things ye have need of before ye ask him. So why would we pray? I believe that in prayer, we, we are asking God for something. We recognize our dependence upon God. We recognize God for who he is, that he is the giver of good things, the giver of that which we need. And so we're depending on him. And we are to ask God, even though he does know already what we need. Then we have the model prayer given in verses nine through 15. And this is known as the Lord's Prayer. It is not vain repetition It's not a lot of words that don't mean anything. And really there are very few extra words. I don't think there are any extra words in this prayer. Contrary to what sometimes we pray as people. We have in this prayer honor to God. An expression of human needs. Human needs are expressed here in a direct, simple, and pure manner, easy to be understood by all, by all who hear, whether it's a sinner or whether it's a saint, whether a person is uneducated or highly educated, we can understand this prayer. I find it interesting that I've been in a few services where it appears that this Lord's Prayer is prayed at some time in every service. And I'm not um, critical of that. I believe it can be meaningful even if it is prayed in every service. Others use the Lord's Prayer occasionally. It's a good reminder of how we should pray There is again the danger of repeating repeating this prayer without thinking what we're meaning and without sincerity, but it can also be repeated often with sincerity and the choice is up to us. The Lord's Prayer can be simply outlined. It begins with our Father, which art in heaven. So God is addressed here and it ends with Ascribing something to God for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So it begins with addressing our father and it ends with ascribing to God the glory and honor that is his. There are two sets of threes between the address and the ascription. You have three Celestial or heavenly petitions, requests that are given. And they are sanctification of God's name, hallowed be thy name. Also, praying for the coming of his kingdom, thy kingdom come. And for the universal submission to his kingdom. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, three requests that have to do with heavenly things. Then there are three requests that have to do with earthly things, prayer for our living, our sustenance, give us this day our daily bread, prayer for a pardon of past sins, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, And then a prayer for deliverance from committing future sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then as I mentioned, the ascription for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Notice that in verses 14 and 15, Jesus refers back to verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus specifically spells out, If ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The Lord's Prayer brings out this truth that is important to us in our walk of life. If we can forgive others God will forgive us. If we cannot forgive others, it is very clear, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It is very important. We are responsible to forgive others, and I believe we're responsible to forgive others whether or not they ask for it. That doesn't mean that the others are benefited by our forgiveness until they recognize their need of it. I believe they need to recognize their need of forgiveness before it benefits them, but it benefits us in that we have a forgiving attitude. And something that I think we ought to be careful about, so somebody wrongs me and I realize I need to forgive them. So I forgive them in my heart and perhaps in my actions, I, I need to in my actions as well. But then sometime later they rec- recognize the need of forgiveness and they come and ask forgiveness. And it's important how we respond to that. Sometimes we are inclined to, to want to exhibit that we've already forgiven them and we pass it off, oh, that that's all right, I forgave you a long time ago. Well, that that's good, that's necessary. But for that person, it was important that they came and asked forgiveness. In which case, I believe we ought to assure them, I forgive you, rather than, you didn't need to ask. They didn't need to ask. And it was important that they came and asked forgiveness and let them Receive a blessing from coming and asking forgiveness. Going on then to honoring God in fasting. Verses 16 through 18. And we've already read this. But Jesus has admonition for us when we fast. Again notice. Moreover when ye fast not if ye fast, or perhaps you will fast, when ye fast. I believe Jesus expects us to fast. And I realize this was given in the time of the Jewish law was, Jewish law was still being observed, and they did fast. Sometimes it was, In hypocrisy, Jesus brings that out here. Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance and they they did things to make it obvious to others that they have fasted, that they are fasting. It says they disfigure their faces. They're of a sad, sad countenance and they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. God's children will fast and they will do it in sincerity to God, not with signs, not with efforts to make it clear to others that they have fasted. These people who fast for the praise of men, look what Jesus says at the end of verse 16, they have their reward. Their reward on earth is now and there is no more reward for them. They have their reward. And then in verses 17 and 18, Jesus gives us how we ought to fast and basically that we're not trying to appear to men to fast, but we are fasting to our Father which is in secret. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. True fasting does not seek to attract attention from men and in fact takes specific measures to prevent men from knowing. Our Father knows all secrets. And sometimes we look at that as a negative thing, that God knows our secrets, but it's a positive thing here. God knows our fasting in secret and he will reward that sincerity. I was thinking of examples in the Bible of fasting. Fasting was observed in the Old Testament in times of public calamity when there was a battle against Israel and Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. King David found out about it And they thought he would be happy that Saul was killed, who was seeking to kill David. David respected Saul for who he was. He was the anointed of the Lord. And at the death of Saul and Jonathan in 2 Samuel 1.12, the people led by David mourned and wept and fasted. There was this public calamity. Someone had died, someone who was anointed of the Lord to be King Saul, his son Jonathan. David had respect for both of them. He loved Jonathan. And so at their death, David and the people, I believe the people followed David's example. They mourned and wept and fasted. We are not told how long. Another time of fasting by King David is in chapter 12, verse 16. David had sinned with Bathsheba, and there was a child born from this union. Later, this child became sick. David cared about this child, and he fasted for this child when when he was sick and that was again another time of fasting in the old testament then you would have in Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 there was fasting in connection to confession of sin the people realized their sin and they fasted concerning this sin as they Confessed it. If you would look in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Jesus, in his temptation in the wilderness, fasted 40 days. Matthew 4, 1 and 2, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. The question may be, so the fasting that Jesus did, did that include no water? Now we just heard this morning that a person can live without water not more than a week. I do believe that Jesus in his fasting, it was no problem for God to keep him alive even if he had not had water in 40 days but it's very possible that Jesus drank water, but his fasting had to do with food only. And I believe that is a very legitimate way to fast. In fact, I, I don't know how you view fasting. But I have heard of various ways to fast. So a fast, does it mean only no food, drinking water and no food? Does it mean drinking liquids such as juice but no solid food? And I don't know what, again, what, how you view that. I believe that the important thing is that we're not trying to mislead others. If we are, and we shouldn't be, actually advertising our fast, but if if someone else finds out about our fast, we should not purposely portray as though we're doing it one way when we actually aren't. I believe it's okay if we want to fast, not taking solid food, but drink, use drink, or drink only water and no other type of nourishment. But I believe the important thing is that we do not Mislead others and misrepresent what we're doing. A few other examples of fasting. In Luke 2.37, Anna, the prophetess, says that she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She fasted. Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was godly, however. He feared God and was... In his way, he was righteous before God. In Acts 10, verse 30, you would read that he was fasting when he saw his vision in which he was to ask Peter to come and speak to him. He was fasting. God honored him, and he was among the first of the Gentiles to become converted. In Acts 13, I think I'll turn to that. The early church was fasting and praying when God spoke to them about sending out missionaries. Acts 13, one to three. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I believe this is significant how Barnabas and Saul were sent to the mission field and this was not across seas, but it was to other countries. The church had fasted and prayed. And as they fasted and prayed, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work we run to, I had called them. And they fasted and prayed again and laid their hands on them, sent them away. There is one more mention that I'm going to make of fasting here in the New Testament Luke or excuse me Acts 14:23 and this is an occasion of we would say ordination Luke Acts 14:23 and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed As I studied this, I'm thinking to myself, maybe we should have more fasting in our ordinations. It it is something that the people did in the early church in the book of Acts, fasted when they were ordaining people, sending out people, and so on. In closing, I would ask you to turn, invite you to turn to Luke 18, nine through 14. Here is a passage, a parable, and I believe it illustrates the proper, illustrates proper giving and praying and fasting. Luke 18, verses nine through 14. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Here is the Pharisee and the publican. We see that the Pharisee, was exalting himself in saying what all he had done. And the giving and the fasting that's mentioned here is not actually done in the way that we should be doing it. But we learn from the Pharisee not to advertise what all we are doing, what all we are giving. He said, I fast twice in the week. He said that publicly. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And so he thought that he had attained by what he was doing and making sure that others knew what he was doing. He was exalting himself. So that was the Pharisee's prayer. The publican, however, stood, says he stood afar off, and I'm not sure what you get from that. He stood afar off. To me, he stood. He wasn't trying to have everybody hear him, but maybe he was in a corner somewhere away from the crowd. He stood afar off and would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. The very way this publican prayed was in humility. He recognized of himself he had no good thing, but he was praying to God for mercy. God be merciful to me a sinner. Jesus said the publican went down to his house justified rather than the other. And he tells why. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. As we think of honoring God in giving and praying and fasting, I believe these last words of Jesus give us direction, last words of Jesus in verse 14, for everyone that humbleth himself shall be abased, and he, excuse me, everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Our very lives here on earth are for God's honor and glory, not for ours, and God will bless those who humbly seek him. I'm not sure your procedure here. Maybe another song, and then I'll turn back to our brother.